Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to The Range on the Believe Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I'm Ralph Irvin, and today we are talking to a man who, some may say, can see the future. More likely is that he sees the past and uses that to look ahead as he prognosticates in the world of professional golf. But he does so much more. And if you need a tea time, he may be able to help you out there as well. This week on The Range, we head to Las Vegas, where we are joined by Brady Cannon, host of Long Shots on the Vegas Sports and Information Network, and so much more. Brady, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Ralph. We always start our talks out here on The Range with a very simple question. When did golf enter into your life? Uh, probably when I was about 12 years old is when I started playing. Uh, my grandfather gave me a set of his old clubs and kind of taught me the game and started playing as a junior. I remember having a, a junior driver that I loved, you know, one of those, uh, chopped down, sawed off drivers, you know, uh, I played with that when I was like 12 or 13 years old and, uh, continued to play sparingly, but really, uh, started playing a lot more. Uh, when I got to Las Vegas, uh, which when I was about uh, 25 years old, uh, and that's when I got into the golf business uh, shortly after moving to Las Vegas and started playing a lot more. And then, um, gosh, uh, probably around year 2000 or late 90s is when I got into betting on golf and not not only playing, but, uh, you know, getting into the whole fantasy golf and making some wagers on some of the, the major events to, you know, future tickets on to win the masters and that type of thing. And then I got even further involved in betting head to head matchups. And now here I am hosting a golf betting show on VEASAN. So <laughs> it's been about uh, 40 years of golf in one form or another. And, and now all of the above. You jumped ahead, but we'll get back to there. After school, you went into radio, and that's what took you to Las Vegas, as you said, essentially in the mid-90s. What do you recall in that transition from going from being in the Bay Area in a bigger city to going to Las Vegas, which at that time was growing, but certainly not what it is now? I thought I'd be back in five years. You know, uh, at that time I was in the radio business and you know how the radio business can be so transient. I thought I'd be in Las Vegas for five years and, you know, told my wife we'll, we'll be, you know, moving back or moving somewhere else, uh, you know, soon. So, so don't worry about Las Vegas. And, you know, here I am 27 years later. So, uh, you know, obviously that didn't happen, but I, I actually, got out of the radio business, you know, came here to Las Vegas for a radio job, Mm -hmm. um, but ended up uh, getting into the golf business about two years later and and dropping kind of the radio thing for a while and, and got into working uh, at the golf course itself and then got into the tea time business, making golf reservations for people coming to Las Vegas and always kind of did a little bit of radio here and there on the side. And then 
um, really, you know, jump, uh, jumped into the radio head first again, uh, in 2011, after I won the, uh, Westgate super contest and, and really have been, uh, full fledged into the whole radio thing, uh, and the media and, you know, from a golf perspective ever since then living in Vegas, did it hit you fast or was it something gradual where the sports books start to grab your attention? And as a sports guy, you start to pay attention to, Hey, there's, there's something going on there that I want to be a part of. I loved it immediately, Ralph. And uh, I mentioned that very first radio job when I came to town, we did a show out of the MGM Grand Race and Sportsbook. And that was back in the day when it was indeed grand. It, it was a huge race and sportsbook at the MGM. And boy, it, it was just uh, overwhelming with the, the races and all the horses going on. I still, to this day, have a little bit of a grasp of horse racing because I just sat there and by osmosis learned about the sport and the jockeys. Mm -hmm. And, um, and we weren't even covering that, you know, we were talking baseball and football and all that stuff, but, uh, no, I, I immediately loved the sports book atmosphere and, you know, as a sports fan and it's, it's like uh, one big giant man cave. So yeah, it, it was not uh, hard to, it was not, it was pretty easy to fall in love with. You're working in golf that keeps you interested in sports. And then 2011 comes and you win that super contest. For those that aren't aware, aren't really in tune to what the super contest is, talk about that. Yeah, the super contest uh, is a very historic uh, football contest. And, and I honestly believe it's the most prestigious uh, football handicapping contest in the world. And, you know, now Circa has been around for a couple of years with their Circa Million contest and, and that type of thing. But um, the, the Westgate super contest was the OG, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And uh, his uh, has been going on for close to 35 years now. Uh, was, I believe, started many years ago by a legendary bookmaker who just retired uh, about a month ago or so by the name of Art Man Terrace, I think started the Super Contest. But um, in its inception, it really became just a contest for the wise guys. Not, not You might have had 40 or 50 or 150 participants, and it was all professional gamblers in Las Vegas. And it started to grow and grow a little bit here and there over the years. And now, you know, you get a couple, couple, 3000 people participating and certainly not all professionals, but you know, that's kind of been the case with sports betting and contests. We've seen it grow exponentially like that, but, uh, you pick five games against the spread, uh, in an NFL week. So every week, week one through now week 18, you will pick, uh, five games against the spread, uh, the entire card is there for you to choose from, uh, but you're only uh, allowed to pick up to five. And the lines come out on Wednesday uh, for the contest, and the book will typically try and guess where they expect that line to be come kickoff on Sunday. But it is a stale line. It's not fluctuating like it is mm -hmm. on the live board. Uh, so you're picking against a stale number, which can be advantageous for sure. Um, but, uh, just a historic event. And, you know, when I won it in, in, uh, 2011, there was 517 participants, which at that time was a record. That was a record number of participants in the super contest and, uh, pre COVID, I think they broke a record with about 3,500 participants <laughs> and a first prize of nearly 2 million, I believe. So, um, 
I wish I kind of had won it then rather than back then. <laughs> so. No, but what that does, especially in that town, is it gets you notoriety. And as such, people then want to talk to you. And that took you, as you said, back to radio because suddenly this is a guy w- with credentials. Yeah, you're right. That that certainly earned me some street cred. Um, and, and it's really been life changing. I mean, I have so many things to to thank uh, for that victory in the super contest. And and I've you know, I'll pat myself on the back, too. I've been a- aggressive about parlaying that into uh, career moves and what have you. And it's it's a big reason why I work with VSIN today. And uh, like you say, why I got back into the radio thing, did a did a radio show for six years with Ken Thompson uh, that followed the super contest victory. And, you know, it's led to me, you know, writing articles. And so it, it's really opened up a tremendous number of doors. And, and again, I've, I've wanted to push that envelope and, and use that as a vehicle to, to open those doors. And it has, and I've been very fortunate and, and still, you know, keep the tea times job on the side as well. So, uh, you know, you know, it's pretty cool working in the golf business, talking about golf and sports and, you know, I'm fortunate. You were able to really take then what you've had success with, what I'd assume you have love with and really kind of take the gambling, take the golf, combine them into becoming kind of a golf gaming specialist. Fair to say. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Yeah. I I've, uh, you know, been able to marry my hobby with my profession. Right. And, and I don't know which one is which, but uh, (laughs) no, it's been, it's been really the best of both worlds um, to do something you love. And and then, like I say, you know, expand upon it and roll it into the world of gaming and, and being able to combine the two and, Mm -hmm. you know, golf and gambling kind of go hand in hand anyway. You know, you go back to the beginning of the game uh, overseas in Scotland, you know, and they're, they're playing for a couple of bucks or whatever it is. And, you know, so gambling on the golf course has always gone on and obviously gambling has always gone on in Las Vegas and, and Las Vegas has become a real golf destination and, and not necessarily uh, a golf destination. That's probably the wrong way to put it, but golf is certainly an amenity that Las Vegas offers uh, and, and is right up there with some of the finest uh, golf courses in the world. So, um, you know, it's kind of a, a perfect storm with all those things coming together and, uh, you know, me being able to form a career right in the middle of it all. As a non-Las Vegas local who has been a lot and played a lot of golf there, I can definitely say it's a destination. It should be a destination for golf. Whether you want to say golf's the amenity or the casinos and the pools are the amenity, one or the other. But, I mean, it's right on par as far as I'm concerned. I, and certainly you know that from working with people that come and visit all the time. Yeah, and what I mean by that, Ralph, is it's different from a Myrtle Beach or a Florida or Arizona where people are really going on golf junket type excursion trips. Las Vegas, most of the people, you know, will come here. Uh, most of the people come here for the gambling, you know, but, but golf is a thing that they'll choose to do. And maybe one day they'll hang out by the pool and, you know, this and that and the other. It's not necessarily the, the focal point of every trip to town. Um, but you're right. Uh, I mean, there are world-class courses here, a number of them. And so, uh, 
you know, it's just, it's more diverse, I guess, if you will, on a getaway town uh, versus, you know, some other places around the country that truly are strictly golf destinations. I, I would say Las Vegas, you know, golf competes as far as activities with, you know, shooting ranges and, uh, you know, SUV trips and Lake Mead and, mm-hmm. you know, all kinds of activities uh, that you have here to choose from uh, off of the strip. A lay person can certainly understand, okay, I'm picking Justin Thomas or Xander Shoffley to win this tournament, but there's a lot more options and a lot more complexities available in today's golf gaming environment, isn't there? Oh yeah, absolutely. And and golf betting has grown probably more so than any sport in the last decade or so, maybe, maybe only UFC is right there with it. And, and, and golf maybe actually has grown percentage wise more so than UFC, because I think UFC was always being bet on pretty heavily, but both of those sports were the first two sports to come back during the quarantine last year. And people were kind of looking for something to do, uh, while they're mm-hmm. sitting there on their couch inside their house. And, and those two sports were readily available and they were the only game in town. So, um, golf certainly grew, uh, in, in that. And even prior to that, uh, golf betting was becoming more and more popular for a long time. And, uh, you know, it, it's like, it's like betting the futures market to win the Super Bowl. Um, you can't just play the favorite and, and you bring up Justin Thomas and, and Xander Shoffley who are usually very high up on the board at short prices, but you have to do your homework. And sometimes Justin Thomas and Xander Shoffley mm-hmm. aren't always a good fit for this particular golf course. It's, it's very much like NASCAR handicapping. And I've learned a lot about NASCAR in handicapping golf, that certain drivers are good for certain tracks. And, and it's the same type of thing in golf, certain players, their skill sets are built for certain types of golf courses. Now you take the best players in the world uh, and they can pretty much win anywhere at any time, but, but certainly most players, if not all players have strength and strengths and weaknesses. And uh, some courses cater to certain players better than others. So you have to kind of go through all of that before just plucking the top names off the board and betting on them. Well, we'll get to your strategies or ideas in a moment, but it's funny because Vegas didn't have to invent this because gambling on professional golf has been so big overseas, especially in the UK for years. I mean, it's notable at the Open Championship where it was always talked about, are players placing money on themselves? Are they placing it on their people they're playing with, etc.? But that's long been a, a legendary thing that made its way over here in recent years. Yeah, no, you're right about that. I remember the story about Rory McIlroy winning a bet that he had uh, on his son would win the British Open uh, at least once over the next 10 years or something like that. And he he cashed out pretty nicely on that. But, uh, you know, thank goodness that it has evolved and made its way over into the States. Obviously, it always has been in Las Vegas, but uh, uh, with the new PASPA, uh, you know, bill passing, I believe now it's 30 states that uh, have legalized sports betting in America. And we're probably headed for at least 49. I don't know if it'll ever pass in Utah, but Mm -hmm. uh, I I think just about everybody else will probably get there eventually, maybe in the next five years. For those even that can't necessarily do full-on wagers, there's things like Chirp that allow you to do fantasy wagering so that you still can be involved in whatever the golfing game of the week will be. 
Yeah, you're right. And, and chirps a cool thing. Uh, I was introduced to that about a year ago. And what's fun about chirp, and and I think eventually gambling on golf will get there at regular uh, brick and mortar and online sports books as well, uh, mobile accounts, if you will, where you're going to be able to in-game uh, like shot to shot, like will he hit the fairway? Will he make this putt? You know, yes or no type of thing. And chirp, uh, you know, his approach that um, I haven't taken a look at chirp in, in a little while, but I think they have had some stuff bordering on that type of thing. And I think other sports books are probably headed that direction too. Obviously there's not going to be huge limits or, or, or yeah, there's not going to be big limits. So you won't be able to mm-hmm. bet a ton of money on something like that, but um, it sure would be fun. I, I used to do that with my buddies, uh, a mutual friend of ours, JT, the brick, you know, we'd always go somewhere to watch the masters and we'd be sitting around with the, uh, you know, five or six guys. And I'd be like, okay, a dollar, he makes this putt a dollar. He misses this fairway. And uh, I think you're going to be able to do that in a real life sports book here pretty soon. Well, and you think about like the match that was on last week in that case, between Bryson and Phil, who are long hitters that don't necessarily hit it straight all the time, are they just going to put it in the fairway? You could easily be sitting there betting on that hole to hole and everything else. So, I mean, their applications are so available because of the mobile programs that are out there. Well, if, if you watch that match, too, you saw flashing across the screen, DraftKings was continually updating wagers that you could make at, at a DraftKings sportsbook. You know, Bryson, Bryson and Rod will, when we get to the 15th hole, we'll still be in the lead. And there was odds, of course, associated with that. And, and uh, who's going to be closest to the pin on this hole. So they really had something to that effect right there on your TV screen for that match. And that certainly added to the excitement. That course was so beautiful. Um, I mean, that, I think that was as much fun as anything is just to see that place. But uh, yeah, that, that was kind of fun. It, it was especially fun to have a couple of those things during the quarantine. Like I mentioned, you UFC and golf being the only sports really that were going on. It was great to have an activity, uh, you know, those couple of charity events that they had uh, uh, on the golf course during the quarantine as well. No, and you mentioned that. I mean, that up there in Montana, but going back to that first one that you mentioned at Seminole, that was enough reason just to watch, just to see the course. The, The golf was secondary. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's totally one of the reasons I tuned in because, you know, you and I may never in our lifetime get to see Seminole, an extremely exclusive club there in Florida. And uh, that was the match when Dustin Johnson and Rory McIlroy took on Ricky Fowler and Matthew Wolf. And and, and that was a good time to watch. No, we we were jonesing for anything during the quarantine to uh, get our sports betting appetite wet. So uh, that that was certainly a a good one to watch. And and the other one was the match with uh, with Brady and Mickelson against uh, Manning and Woods, and that was Mm -hmm. cool too. I've long suggested that the way that they should do an event like that, and this goes back to the Monday night Tiger Woods showdowns battle at Bighorn and such, that they give these guys a bankroll at the beginning of the day, and this is your payout for your appearance. Mm -hmm. And that's your bank. Let's see how the the pros wager with this money. Yeah. Where they actually are putting for $100,000 or hitting a drive for that. 
Tiger and Phil did a little bit of that when they played the match uh, right around Thanksgiving in 2018 at Shadow Creek. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember, you know, they were going back and forth with each other. Hey, you know, and, and it was for charity, Yeah, you know, so it wasn't maybe exactly like you're talking about, but they were given, uh, you know, a charitable bankroll, if you will. And, and so, the, you know, that, that all adds to it. And, and I think, you know, every one of these things, they're, they're getting a little bit more creative and, and the gambling is becoming more and more prominent. So mm -hmm. that's good for all of us in the, in the sports betting marketplace. We are coming up on the final major at the open championship for you. Do you put more stock into an event like this, or do you approach it the same way you would any standard week on tour? Well, I, I, you know, putting more stock into it, I certainly put I would say more time and energy into handicapping it. Mm -hmm. I certainly spend more time and energy talking about it uh, with folks like yourself. And, you know, I do a lot of radio stuff all over the country, uh, which is great. And it's great to see that excitement for golf. Um, the wagering, I usually probably end up risking a, a, a little bit more on it just because I'm so excited about the event and I, I want to, you know, and, and there's also more wagering options available too sure. at a lot of different places. They kind of increase the menu for the major championships. But that being said, it's not necessarily responsible to, to bet more on it just because it's the Super Bowl or something like that. Uh, it, it should be treated as a regular tournament. And I haven't bet a lot on the British Open yet. And I don't know if I will get to the same level that I was for the U S open or the masters or what have you, um, you know, because as betters, we do have to have discipline. That's really as important as anything. And if I don't see a lot of different things that I like in my handicap, if, if I don't find a lot of edges or things that match up, um, then, then maybe I won't be as vested, but, uh, certainly, uh, you know, outside of the wagering aspect, I will be completely vested in watching it and enjoying it. So it, with any tournament, if you're not seeing anything that you like or, or any sport for that matter, you know, you, you don't necessarily bet more on the Super Bowl just cause it's the Super Bowl. You have to, you have to treat them all the same, stay within your bankroll and stay within your discipline. So let's talk technique or philosophy. What are some examples of what you would consider in setting a personal line or expectation for a tournament? What are some of the things that you like to factor in? Well, I definitely look at current form and course form and current form obviously is how a player is, is playing currently. Are they, are they in a, in a real funk or, or are they red hot? And then course form is, have they played well at this course before? Do they have a good history here at this course or do they have a really lousy history? If you look at, uh, uh, Bubba Watson has never performed well in the U S open and actually did pretty darn well at Torrey Pines, but you look at guys historically, have they done well at particular golf courses? And then I'll look at that particular golf course and try and whittle down what I think maybe the top five skill sets are going to be. Uh, is it going to be driving distance or is it going to be driving accuracy or is it going to be a combination of both? Is it going to be proximity to the hole? Is it going to be strokes gained approach, putting, scrambling, you know, a lot of different factors. Um, 
three putt avoidance. That's uh, one of the common things at Augusta national that uh, will behoove you in your quest for a, G- a green jacket is to avoid the three putts. So you go down the rankings there and look at different players in, in different areas that you think will match up to that particular golf course week in and week out. And then maybe you come up with who knows 30 or 40 different guys that, that make sense. And then I think you want to go, you take all that work that you've done and then you take it to the odds board and say, okay, well, I've, I've got this guy that looks like a, a medium, uh, play it, it by my numbers, but on the odds board, he's, you know, five to one, that that's not a real good right. value. So you, you want to kind of find the reverse, like a guy that really checks a lot of boxes by in my research, but yet on the odds board, he's a hundred to one, you know, that. That's uh, what you want to, and that's where the term comes in value. You know, you you Mm want to try and find the, uh, the $10,000 car that's being sold for five. So that's, uh, that's kind of the, where, where it starts and where it ends, you know, starting with current form and course form and the skill sets for the course, and then matching it up against the odds board and, and making your moves from there. And when you think about something like the open championship, Obviously, you have, okay, who's going to win the tournament, and you can box a number of players into, you know, so if one of these guys wins. But what are some other special wagers that might be out there for something like this? Is there something where who's going to have the most birdies in the field, or who will have the best fairway percentage off the tee, or or, or things like that available? Yes and no. The most birdies available, what what you might have, what you might find, and what I have seen is it's typically not as readily available in the U.S., but you mentioned wagering in the U.K. A lot of times their golf menu is is much more extensive, and they might have something where they they pit two players together. You know, who's going to have more birdies, uh, Xander Schauffele or or Justin Thomas? You might have Mm -hmm. a proposition bet like that, but but the menus do get uh, quite extensive for the major championships, much more so uh, than just a regular week to week PGA tour tournament. And, and you mentioned the futures board, the outright market to win the thing right now. I have three players in pocket. Usually for the majors, I end up with about eight, maybe nine on a week to week basis. I'm usually betting five or six. Mm -hmm. Uh, but like I said, you know, for the majors, I I usually dive in a little deeper. Um, and then I also, uh, play the top 10 and top 20 finishes. Now they, they even go top five or top 30. Um, but all of those top, you know, position of finish markets. Uh, I like to dabble in those because mm-hmm. you're giving yourself more leeway than just one golfer winning the tournament outright. Those are right. always fun because they're big, they're big long shots and they're big payouts. But um, I put the least amount of risk in in the outright market, and then I will probably double that amount of risk in the top ten, top twenty market. And then my highest amount of risk where I will bet a full unit will be on a head to head matchup. And that's where they'll have two golfers. And these are fictional matchups. They're not actual on the golf course, but the odds maker will create a matchup for say Matthew Wolf against Victor Hovland. And one guy is favored and one guy is the underdog. And you have to choose which player is going to score better uh, over the course of the four days. And you can handicap that much better uh, like, uh, like a football game, like a Steelers versus the Patriots. You can mm-hmm. handicap Team A versus Team B or Player A versus Player B 
much better. You have a much better chance of being right than you do of picking one winner out of 156 participants. So, so that's where I typically risk the most because it's where I have the best chance is the head to head matchup. Uh, and then you also, you know, what you kind of allude to most birdies and fairway percentage and this type of thing, you will get a lot of markets for the majors, like, uh, lowest or highest finishing South African or best Canadian or uh, best finishing former champion or, or uh, best finishing, you know, player over 50 years old. So there's all different kinds of little derivative okay. markets like that for sure. Um, it just kind of depends book to book on, on how detailed they get. No, and you can't help but think of how big, Brooks versus Bryson as a bet is <laughs> is that every sports book wants to get that down because forget the handicapping part. People are just going to bet with who their heart tells them to, like they do with a lot of football games. And typically when that happens, that's good for the sports books. Well, that's a great comment. And there's a lot of truth to that. And I, I never, I hadn't thought of that, but yeah, I, I would bet that there probably will be some Bryson and Brooks props up at sports books all over the place because because what, like what you say, no matter what, it's going to garner a lot of interest mm -hmm. and a lot of interest turns into dollars for the sports books. I mean, what, at the end of the day, what they really want is handle. They, they want volume uh, of wagers. And so the, the higher level of interest and a bet like that might have as much interest as anything. Uh, so I imagine they would write a lot. And like you say, the books typically position themselves with the numbers. So at the end of the day, they have a very good chance of coming out a winner on those type things. But, uh, you know, the other thing is, too, even if they were to take a loss on, on, a, on some Bryson versus Brooks stuff, it brings people to that window and interested in that golf tournament. So while they're shopping, they might buy a few other things, you know. So uh, it, it goes back to what bookmakers will tell you here in Las Vegas about the Vegas Golden Knights. They they're always kind of quote unquote rooting against our team because everybody's betting on the Knights here in Las Vegas. So right. the sports books usually lose when the Knights win, but they don't mind taking that loss because the golden Knights being in the mix and being at the forefront in the playoffs, the Stanley cup, what have you, it brings interest to hockey overall. And at the end of the day, they do more handle. People that live in Las Vegas don't necessarily visit the sports books on a regular basis. And if that gets people in, all the better. Oh, you're absolutely right. You interact with folks all the time and hear their stories. What are some common mistakes that folks should avoid in placing money down on a golf tournament? Well, you know, you, you spoke about it. Um, if you're going to just bet on your fan favorite, which many people were, were rewarded with at the PGA championship when they bet on Phil Mickelson, you know, for just, uh, for just funny money. And he turned out to be a winner at, uh, you know, 300 to one or 200 to one or whatever he was. Um, but you know, obviously that doesn't happen too often. So you have to, you have to know what you're in it for. Um, if you're absolutely just doing this for recreation, and, and you only do it a few times a year, let's say you bet on the four majors and you always like to put money on Mickelson. Um, there, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you're going to be a little bit more serious about it and, and handicap it, um, then, you, you know, you, you need to take some time. And the other thing is, I mean, the golden rule, as you know, Ralph, you, you never want to mess around with more than you can afford to lose. So, um, you know, you know I, go, I go back to the Super Bowl or if it's a major championship, you know, just because it's a big event and it's on TV, 
Um, you don't need to go throw gobs of money at the thing unless you can afford to lose that because, right. you know, the most, the majority of people that bet on sports do lose over time. Um, so you just need to be responsible with it. Like anything, that's all have fun with it. I, I, I mean, I think one of the biggest things about sports betting being legalized all over the country is it's fun where, you know, there's so many sports fans all over the world. And I don't care if you have $5 on a game or 5,000 on a game, it should be, it should also be a little bit of fun involved, I believe, um, when you're making that wager. So, uh, you know, keep it simple. Don't get over your skis, uh, make sure it's entertainment and you're not, you know, risking the rent on this type of thing. Uh, and, and do your homework if, if you really do plan on winning. And, and the other thing that we always preach, Ralph, is, is shop around. I mean, you've got a lot of different sports books out there that are posting a lot of different prices. And it's just like grocery shopping. You know, if, if you're trying to find the best deal on a, on a carton of eggs, shop around because it, over time it adds up. And it's the same thing with sports betting. Make sure you're getting the best price. Well, that leads me to a question looking back at your history, not the super contest, but can you think of something where you went, shopped, found a great price and had a huge win because of it, or maybe just a win that you didn't see coming. Somebody had a late charge at a tournament and out of nowhere, uh, made your bet a, a nice cash. Well, you know, the super contest obviously was the biggest, uh, needle in a haystack surprise, uh, you know, turning, uh, 1500 bucks into 320,000 that, that was, you know, that was quite a payout, but, um, the biggest golf future I've ever hit was, uh, 60 to one, uh, last year on Terrell Hatton when he won at Bay Hill. Um, and, and again, I did my full blown handicap on that. So it wasn't necessarily a shock to me, but, but when, you know, it's really electric when, you know, as Sunday rolls around on a golf tournament and there's your guy at the top of the leaderboard and it's quite a sweat, you know, the back nine holes. And, and that day there happened to be a ton of wind and, and, and it was a real grind. Um, but it's so exciting when they come through the most recent one for me to hit was John Rahm at the U S open. Now, you know, he, he was a real short shot. So that certainly wasn't unexpected and, and, right. and you never expect it, but, um, he, he certainly wasn't a long shot. I had him at 13 to one. They're all fun, Ralph. I tell you, you know, hitting an outright is, is, is just fantastic. And it's, it's probably the most fun part uh, of betting golf. It's so exhilarating because it is a big payout and, and watching that unfold down the stretch. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the super contest, like I say, yeah, that that's absolutely the, the biggest score and may never be rivaled again in my lifetime. But, you know, the other ones are just uh, kind of small fireworks that have been fun along the way. It's funny you mentioned John Rahm. I'm reminded. Oh, yeah, that's right. Back in uh, March, I put a futures on Rahm to win a major this year. And sure enough, that hit. So that's a ticket waiting for its return to Vegas. <laughs> there you go. Nice job. <laughs> Good work. Now, what was that about three to one? Uh, I think it was about four or five. Very it good. It wasn't, wasn't big, but it was, but it was a nice little, but that's a smart bet, right? Yeah. You know, we talk about that. I mean, sometimes small number and a small payout. And, and sometimes people, you know, 
people gravitate towards a parlay effect, if you will, when you want to put down a little to win a lot. And that doesn't always work out. And sometimes you have to go to the chalk. I, I often reference Floyd Mayweather. And, you know, when he was listed a, at a price on a boxing match at minus 500, Hey, you know what? That was cheap. Sometimes you got to lay the 500 to win a hundred because Mayweather, as we know, he never lost. And so you making a very positive expected value on, on John Rom. there. We, we knew this guy was going to win one, one time. And you didn't necessarily go down the board and say, Oh, I want to, I want to get greedy. And I want to hit a guy that's 50 to one. He made a, a smart play there. And obviously you got rewarded for it. Now I do have to ask though, on the flip side, you saw the winner coming. He's coming. Oh no. There went that bet. <laughs> a bad beat that might've hit you on the golf course. You know, I had it last week, Ralph. <laughs> oh man. At the rocket mortgage classic. I've, I can't recall ever having a leaderboard more surrounded and not getting the winner home. I had Alex Noren who came up one shot shy of the playoff mm -hmm. and, you know, parred the two easy finished well ahead of the field. Yeah. Parred the two easiest holes coming down the stretch or would have gotten into the playoff. I had Troy Merritt who, who was in the playoff. Mm -hmm. I had Jason Kokrak who was tied for the lead on the back nine on Sunday. Mm -hmm. I had uh, Chris Kirk who was, I think one shot off of the lead on the back nine on Sunday. And I had Cameron Tringali who made a big run to get into the top 10 on Sunday. And my colleague on my long shot show had Joaquin Neiman, who was also in the playoff, and not one of us could get Cam Davis home. It was uh, that was a pretty tough one to swallow. But you know, that wasn't necessary. I, I, it's hard to say that was a bad beat. He did chip in for an eagle, I believe, on seventeen or something like that for a fifty-yard bunker shot. Maybe it was for a birdie or whatever. So that was a, a little stroke of luck for Davis right there. But you know, when, when you're, when you've obviously handicapped the tournament so well, and you've got five or six guys in the mix there, it's hard to say, Oh, I got robbed, you know? <laughs> so, um, but, uh, yeah, that, that was one I can certainly most think of recently that, uh, was a tough pill to swallow. Well, we like to wrap up our conversations here on the range by jumping into the Wayback machine. And since we do largely focus on equipment, we love to know is there a club that you've used in golf that jumps out as a personal favorite? Something that when you think like it probably has already popped in your head, a favorite club that you're like, you know, that was a great club. And I'm glad I don't use it now because, you know, I've got something better, but boy, that thing performed. Well, you know what? I, I have one of those and it's still in my bag. And it's a Titleist PT 13 or it's a PT 15. Title is PT-15, and um, I want to say this was probably out sometime in the 80s. It's a, it's a metal wood, a fairway wood, and the 15 is for 15 degrees. It's, mm -hmm. it's basically a three-wood, but it's kind of a spoon-like head, and the PT is for pro trajectory, and it just does have a beautiful ball flight uh, when it comes off the face, and actually some pretty decent pros used to use that. Uh, including Billy Andrade and then even some bigger names like VJ Singh and Tiger Woods used to carry a title as PT 13 or 15 in their bag. So that one's always been a favorite of mine, an old gem that I still do use to this day. Just had a new shaft put in it to keep it up to date, if you will, but uh, <laughs> a beautiful old club. 
Well, Brady, I know our listeners uh, will want to reach out to you. So first, if they're coming to Vegas, they want a tea time. How do they get you? Yeah, you can find me at Tea Times USA, and our website is lvttimes.com, LV like Las Vegas, T-E-E-T-I-M-E-S.com. And you can find me there. You can shoot me an email or what have you, and uh, we'll get you hooked up with a tea time when you come to Las Vegas. We have access to every course in town, private and public. So, um, you know, that's where some of the advantages lie by using our service. We don't charge a fee. Our service is free, which is great. And then you can follow me on Twitter at Las Vegas Golfer. And uh, you can also find me at VEASAN, the Vegas Stats and Information Network uh, at VEASAN.com. Well, I know people are going to want to get your bets for the Open Championship. So when it, when is Long Shots? Where can they find it on VEASAN? Yeah, we will record Long Shots, and we have a couple of great guests that are going to be on our program, excellent golf handicappers as well. Uh, that comes out at VEASAN.com slash podcasts. And then it also airs on our airway on our airwaves later at night and, and early in the morning as well. So you can go to vison.com slash podcast and check that out. It's the Long Shots podcast and it's all for free. So uh, it, it's pretty easy to find the information. All right, Brady, thanks for taking the time to join us here on the range. I appreciate it, Ralph. Thank you. That was Brady Cannon, and he absolutely has a passion for the game of golf and, of course, for placing bets on the action. He's a fun follow on Twitter, and of course, you can catch him on VSIN if you want to add that extra excitement into your golf viewing experience. Before we go, this is the week of the Open Championship, and yes, it is the final major of the year. But it is far from the last big golf event of the year, because like it or not, the Olympics are big, and they matter. You likely have read or will read columns from supposedly serious golf writers lamenting the so-called weak field that'll play in Tokyo. The Masters champion will be there, as will the US Open champ. 20 of the top 50 players in the world will be in action, and yes, that number may seem low. Guess what? 25 of the top 50 players in the world are from the US. Qualifying for the Olympics in any sport is an accomplishment, and as such, four Americans will play for the gold, as it should be. That means 21 US players ranked in the top 50 in the world did not qualify for Tokyo. All told, 23 players in the top 50 did not qualify. Tyrrell Hatton, Matthew Fitzpatrick, and Lee Westwood chose not to represent Great Britain, and that opened the door to Tommy Fleetwood. Is that the reason the field is weak? Is the absence of Louis Ustase and Victor Perez and Sergio Garcia so crucial to Olympic golf that their absence is too much to overcome? Hardly. Playing in the Olympics is an honor for every athlete from every nation around the world. Many want to go, but cannot. And that is how it's supposed to be. And as for Udain Mane from India, the lowest ranked player at number 365 in the world, he'll be an inspiration to his country, just like Eddie the Eagle was for the Jamaican bobsled team. He is what the Olympic spirit is all about. And guess what? If he contends, it'll be a bigger story than we've seen in any major in recent memory. This is the golf tournament that we expect as viewers and as fans. Can it be enhanced? Can it be more engaging with a team concept? For sure. But these athletes compete as individuals. It's what they do. And they deserve the honor that comes with entering the arena, making the attempt, and competing with honor before returning to their homes, the better for it. No other sporting event is the Olympics. 
And finally, golf has the recognition and the opportunity to shine. Don't let some bitter, angry, historically diluted sports writers tell you any different. Enjoy the games and enjoy the golf. What's new for 2021 in golf equipment? Find out with the Golf Spotlight. We are dropping new features all the time, looking at clubs, accessories, footwear, and more. Go to thegolfspotlight.com, click on the YouTube subscribe button, and turn on those notifications so you never miss one of our features. There is always a lot to catch up on. Stay up to date on the range by following us on Instagram at thegolfspotlight. We are also on Twitter at golfspotlight. Welcome your comments everywhere. You've listened this far, so subscribe to The Range on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or iHeart. We have new shows dropping every Wednesday. That'll do it for this episode of The Range. Enjoy the Open Championship and ask yourself, what do you think will happen? It should be unpredictable. That you can bet on. And we will talk to you next time, right here on The Range. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.